Welcome to Rise Leaders Radio. This podcast focuses on exemplary leadership, the type of leadership that brings about positive, meaningful change in places that matter. We explore how these leaders make things happen and the lessons they learned along the way. I'm your host, Leanne Mallory. I am really excited to be talking with Chad West today. Chad is our newly inaugurated Dallas City Council member for District 1. As I was planning this first podcast season, which you know is focusing on the really unique style of leadership that I'm seeing here in Oak Cliff, Chad was high on my list and I had this story that he was going to be really hard to reach. Luckily, I had saved a flyer that he had placed on all of the neighborhood doors during his campaign, and he had written, call me Chad, and left his phone number on all these flyers. So I did. I expected a recorded greeting and an invitation to leave a message, but he answered personally, and we were able to set up our first meeting at Cultivar Coffee on Jefferson Boulevard, right down the street here in Oak Cliff. This is a story of first impressions, first and lasting impressions, actually. This first personal interaction with Chad really told me a lot about him and how he treats his constituents and how he frames his accessibility. This seems to be a core tenet for Chad. I'd actually like to start with this idea. And as I hand the mic over to you, Chad, we had some technical difficulties this morning. And so if you'd just tell us a little bit about yourself and your ideas and commitment to this accessibility, and we'll just get going. So thank you, and good morning. Well, I'm glad to be here, and thank you for having me on the uh, program. Uh, you know, it, I guess I've just always sort of gravitated towards industries, uh, professions that where I get a lot of interaction with people. It's something I crave. Uh, like during the day when I'm at work, I, I just am the type of person I, I like interaction, especially on one-on-one opportunities. And then when I disconnect when I'm home, I uh, after my kids go to bed, I love to just sit down and read a book and decompress and be alone. So it's kind of like the two extremes is, is sort of the, uh, the the person that that I, I found myself to be over time. So my my first real job outside of law school or outside of undergrad was in the military, and it was I mean where you're with people all the time. You, in, in fact, you're, you're usually sleeping in the same uh, uh, room <laughs> as them. So you, you really don't have much privacy, but it's a, it is a lot of interaction. Um, and you're through that, you, you learn teamwork, you learn how to motivate others, uh, how to be a leader and how to identify and quickly harvest talents in people and uh, use those uh, to better the organization and society and also help them grow as leaders. And that was the best thing I, I learned from the military, that and how to wake up at four in the morning and, and hit the ground running. That was the other other skill. And, and make, a, make a good bed, huh? And make a good bed. I've kind of slacked <laughs> off on that in the last few years, but uh, it's, uh, I still make the bed. That's the first thing I do after I, I get out of it. 
after that, you know, kind of getting out of law school, I could have gone to the sort of the ivory tower law firm where you're representing corporations and, and it's a lot of paper type work. I, in fact, my first job out of law school was that, but I gravitated instead towards the type of law practice areas that center around working with people. So it's, uh, you know, I focused on criminal defense and on personal injury cases, and those are very much driven by representing the individual and helping them go against, you know, protecting their rights, essentially, whether that's being from the defense standpoint or the, or the plaintiff standpoint, depending on what, what you're doing. And I just enjoyed it so much. And I I still do. I'm my practice is still going. I ended up, you know, in my time living in Oak Cliff, I have been a uh, very active person in the community. I enjoy community service and, and getting out and, just interacting with others. And, you know, we can talk about some of that stuff if you want, but eventually it it made sense to consider public service. Uh, I would say city council more than any other type of elected office is a very personal office. It's one that people expect to have your cell phone number. You know, thinking about my state rep or U.S. rep or even my county commissioner, what they do on a daily basis is, is a little bit nebulous to me. I mean, I, I know what their goals are and what the state and federal level, what they handle. But the day-to-day minutiae of it, I have no idea. And I would never consider just picking up my cell phone and calling my state rep. I just wouldn't. But I've always expected that of my city council person, you know, because you see them in your grocery stores, you see them in the restaurants and bars and in the in the fitness centers. And it's just a very personal, you know, kind of personal uh, position. And so accessibility is super important. And I think it's, it's a requirement of the job, frankly. Yeah, I would not have guessed that. I mean, it makes perfect sense. But I, as, as a constituent of yours now, I really appreciate that. And when I saw, you know, call me Chad on my flyer, I really did. And it was handwritten by you. I really did feel invited just to to give you a call. And as I listen to you speak now, one of the things that I wonder about is now that you're at city council, you're representing both district one, which is the district that we both live in, and also holding the vision for the city at the same time. So you have to represent us and hold a vision for the city. And I just wonder how you're thinking about that right now, mm-hmm. if you have a strategy for um, how to hold both of those polls. Great question. Uh, so leading up to taking office, my focus has always been for you know the last 12 years since I moved to Oak Cliff, really more district centric, because that's what you see every day. You know, we have very specific challenges and opportunities in Oak Cliff. And, you know, everything from development, there are great things and there are bad things about all the development coming in, you know, parks, there's, we have some of the best parks in the city and, but we still have a lot of areas that are not within a 10 minute walk or even a 20 minute walk of a park in our district. So we have different challenges um, being one of the oldest neighborhoods with the original street grid that's, that's attached, you know, our infrastructure challenges are, are um, significant. And uh, we've got old roads that are crumbling. Um, so we've got 
very specific um, challenges in our district that I've been focusing on mostly up until now. But then when you look at setting the city budget, which we're about to dive into here in the next couple of weeks, and then especially in August, most of the budget issues in, center on citywide stuff. So, you know, public safety is over 60% of our budget. It's huge. And we really need more. We need more money for that. Uh, you look at uh, other funding for, for, for large things that we're going to be doing, like parks in the future, um, infrastructure challenges across the city, maintaining city facilities. Those are citywide issues. So a, a lot of times what the interests are to the city, they don't conflict with the district. They're, mm-hmm. they're just a little bit, they're bigger, obviously, but they're, they're, they're just different. And you've got to be able to move that ball along and not forget where your voters are, where your home is, and, and what's really important on a day-to-day basis for your constituents. So I don't think they conflict. It, it's rare when the interests of your district conflict with the city. There will be times, and, and when there are, it's going to be case-by-case basis. And I'm going to be seeking a lot of public input for that. You know, when I was on the plan commission, I learned the value of uh, posting agendas and posting results of cases online. It, it engaged people in what is otherwise not a very sexy topic for a lot of people, which is zoning and, and platting. And uh, people gloss over on that type of stuff. A lot of them, there's some very active folks, but a lot of people will gloss over on a zoning application until two weeks later or two months later, a building comes down. And then all of a sudden, a building that they thought was historic or that a lot of people thought was historic is gone. And and they're like, what happened? You know, why didn't anybody tell me about that? And it's like, well, they did. They just, you were told in the kind of way that the city notices it, which most people gloss over. So my goal as a plan commissioner was, one of my many goals was to uh, make sure everybody was familiar with what was coming up, include pictures and graphics so it draws their eye to it and they pay attention. And then to seek feedback as much as I can. Because if I'm trying to, encourage a developer to, you know, put in elements that are better for pedestrians or traffic safety. If I'm trying to encourage more walkable um, projects, it helps when I have two to four to two dozen people in the audience who are um, also giving encouragement and sending letters in. And and that made my role more powerful, really, and more uh, it, it allowed me to get more done by having more public input. And it also created challenges too, because people are questioning what I'm doing, which they should be doing. But I it created more work because I had to respond to them. But I'd rather have that than the alternative, which is a neighborhood that doesn't care, and we start to lose our character. You know. Yeah, it seems to me that. There is a lot of care in Oak Cliff, a lot of people who are engaged and do have really strong opinions about what should go where and what they want their neighborhoods to look like. Right. And I'm wondering if that's the case throughout Oak Cliff or at least your district that you're able to engage all neighborhoods. Are you finding consistent interest and engagement across? Uh, great question. With And that is... Uh, goes to the core of my work on the plan commission was whenever there's a case that is coming up like a new development project, let's say a new apartment building that's coming up next to a very active neighborhood association. 
I had no problem getting uh, neighbor feedback. I didn't even have to ask for it most of the time. They would come to me. Where the challenges were is when you do not have organized neighborhood associations. And there's a, a fairly big swath of the southwestern portion of District 1, which is the area a little bit um, east and south of Cockrell Hill. Uh, the city of Cockrell Hill, which is like a little cut out in our district, uh, that they don't have organized neighborhoods. And there's a, a couple areas in the eastern portion of the district that doesn't either. And in getting feedback there, I had to either go door knocking or in some cases there is a, a Democratic precinct chair that's in the area and I can reach out to them. And, and get some feedback from that end. Uh, but it makes it tough. It, it does when you don't have organized neighborhood associations. During the campaign, those are areas of the neighborhood that I also lost. You know, they did not vote for me. And I think there is a perception in um, areas that, that haven't had a lot of contact with City Hall, uh, including their commissioners, um, not just the elected officials, that we don't care about them. And it, mm. at least for me, that's not the that's not the case. And I, you know, I, but I struggle and it's a continual battle to, to make connections with folks. And I think what you got to do is you just got to go into the neighborhoods and you've got to show up for events there uh, that are unrelated to city, the city stuff, and you've got to start building trust. And I've been doing that uh, for the last couple of years as a plan commissioner, and I'm going to keep doing it as a, as a council member, but it is a challenge and, and you got to be aware of it, you know, and and hearing you, I'm just, I think this is a busy guy, you know, with your law practice and wanting to engage neighborhoods. And then I'm right back to your accessibility and what you said about kind of boundaries and decompressing in the evening. So it uh -huh. sounds like you probably need a good strategy for all of the extending that you do into the neighborhoods and then having a way to recover uh, so that you can continue to be effective. Definitely. And I'm still kind of working on that. I'm not going to lie. I have not figured out the balance just yet of elected office plus business plus home plus continuing to to reach out to folks. I mean, this is my first week on the job. So I've got some some learning to, to, to do here. I don't even have furniture in my city council office yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's uh, and my books and stuff are on the floor. And uh, it's fine, though. It's it's exciting. And it's part of the fun, I think, of, of starting something new is, is, is figuring out your schedule that works. I am trying to maintain a personal life as well. I think that's important to have your downtime, have your family time. And, and so I'm going to try to limit the amount of, of commitments that I do. But with that being said, when I do go to things each week and I do plan to do two to three events or neighborhood meetings uh, every week for indefinitely, I plan to s spread myself into different areas. You know, I'm not going to just focus on North Oak Cliff or, you know, East Oak Cliff or South Oak Cliff. I'll, I'll be spreading around. And it's also important for relationships on council with other council members for me to go to things in their districts. So I've got to keep that in mind as well. Like I need to, to, to be able to bring some other council members who may have never been in the Southern part of district one, get them to come with me to something down there. I need to return the favor and go to something in their district and show support. So it's, you know, it's not just district focus. You've got to build those relationships with other district uh, leaders as well. Yeah. You've certainly expanded 
the boundaries of your responsibilities and level of engagement by stepping up to this bigger role that you're playing. So it'll be interesting if we were to talk again in another year or mm-hmm. six or eight months to see, you know, how's it going and how how are you managing all of that? Yeah, let's do it. I like it. You know, I'm sure that you have a vision for this district. And when you and I met the first time, you explained, and and I actually noticed how you became even more engaged in the conversation and your energy picked up even more as we were talking about your vision for Oak Cliff. And so I'd love to hear what you see as possible for this area that's changing rapidly. And if you wanted to throw in some of the good and bad of that development, that would be great. And then finally, if you have a call to action for anyone who's listening, whether they're listening from this area or they're listening from across the country, if you have an opinion about how to be a good citizen. Yeah, let's uh, jump into it. So for those of folks who are not familiar with where my district is located, we are just on the southwest sector of downtown. You, you cross a bridge and you're literally right there at Reunion Tower after you cross over the Trinity and the old Union Station train station is there and you're two minutes from City Hall and from the big skyscrapers in Dallas. But what's beautiful about our district and, and amazing is once you cross out of downtown back over here, we have most of our district is still maintained with the original street grids and neighborhoods that were have been there for a hundred years, give or take. And so you've got amazing neighborhoods right by downtown, 10 minutes from the medical district, which has got all our hospitals and everything else. And then and then we've got the Bishop Arts District, which is a, a, a really neat shopping experience that's in an old streetcar stop. So we've got just a, it's just a gem of, of a neighborhood right by downtown. Some of the exciting things about what we're going to see in the future in terms of development, and this is coming from, you know, a decade or two of planning is that there's where the old Oak Farms project was, or, or, or land was right by the Trinity River next to the streetcar stop. Um, is going to be a mixed-use development with some workforce housing uh, mixed in with uh, market-rate housing. They'll have first-floor retail. They're being very thoughtful about plazas. Uh, The bridge that is called the Houston Street Viaduct, which is currently the streetcar bridge, is and it's also a traffic bridge, is going to be turned completely into a pedestrian bike Mm. and streetcar bridge. And uh, the Jefferson Viaduct, which is the, the parallel bridge, is going to take all the traffic on it. So we're going to have a, an even cooler way, really, to get into downtown. I was reading D Magazine's new urbanism issue last summer. And an, an author named Patrick Kennedy, uh, who's a new urbanist guy, he actually lives in our district on Melba Street, just south of Bishop Arts. And he's a friend and also someone whose writings inspire me. Patrick wrote in this special issue last summer about the article is entitled using Bishop arts as a model to spur little centers throughout South Dallas. And the little centers he identified were all old streetcar stops. So they're, they're this beautiful old, like one and two story brick buildings, most of which have been 
no, they're not used anymore or they're they've turned into like auto uses over time but they're they're still laid out in the original grid that they were built in back in the 20s and 30s when the streetcars were put in and it's just like what bishop arts is that's exactly what it was and what the city did along with neighbors to get bishop arts to come to life was they put in they went in they looked at the zoning that was in place and they basically said, all right, if you keep the original structures and you don't demolish it and put up like a CVS or a, you know, an auto zone or something, you keep your original structures, then you don't have to park them uh, and you can to put a restaurant or a retail or gallery in it. So it encouraged the walkability and encouraged folks to put um, adaptive reuse um, items into these old buildings. So then it was after that, it was the city's job to put in economic development dollars to widen the sidewalks, put in brick pavers, put in trees and like street lights, which would then encourage people to come over there. So the city committed to, to putting in both the zoning and, and the, uh, the economic dollars for that, right? Well, it took about 10 years, but over time, Bishop Arts became a, a, just a model really for the rest of the city. Now, talking with neighbors about this, there, there are, in my district alone, there are three locations we can we can recreate this model, one of which is completely abandoned, um, but it's beautiful over in the Pierce Catherine section, which is a little bit more west in my district. And then there's uh, the other two are right along Clarendon Road, which is an old cattle trail. <laughs> and it's, it's a kind of an artery through the neighborhood uh, just south of Jefferson Boulevard. And I've had extensive amount of meetings with neighborhood associations, with property owners, and just interested people in the district and uh, about what they want to do here. I would say just about unanimously, we had interest in bringing some life to it, but there's also concern on the parking overflow and on traffic that Bishop Arts gets. So basically everyone loves Bishop Arts for what it is, but they don't love the traffic and the parking and they don't want to bring that type of intense usage into their own neighborhood. So it's kind of the NIMBY mentality. We get that in Oak Cliff. Everybody does, but, <laughs> but they do want to open up hearings to talk about the zoning because the zoning that's in place right now would allow somebody to come in, rip down all of the buildings, throw up a, an auto-centric use, like an auto zone, or I have nothing against auto zone, but it's just a good example of what you might see and, and be done with it. And so to protect the street grids, we've got to be a little bit more thoughtful and protect the original buildings. We've got to be a little more thoughtful about what we're going to do. And they're, they're all on board with that. So I'm, I'm excited about the future. You know, we're going to open those up and, and move forward with those. And, and, uh, and at the center of it all is having good public input and good dialogue with the neighborhoods and everyone who's there. So I think that's, that's a couple really exciting things that are coming up. I worked on the bond task force uh, in each of the last two, two times we had them and fought for bond money for expansion of our trails. And we've got some exciting trail expansions that are going to link up more people with our, our parks and help people get to them more safely. I'm a big fan of complete streets. I'm definitely uh, the council member who's probably said that more than anyone else. They're probably getting sick of hearing it from me. Now, what does that mean, a complete street? That means being thoughtful on streets. Uh, when, you're, when you're going in to redesign a street or repave it or resurface it or whatever, uh, that you are considering more than just cars. You're considering how the cars, uh, more than just moving cars 
um, as fast as possible through a neighborhood, right? It's considering how cars are interacting with pedestrians, how bikes are interacting with them, um, how fast should the cars be going, are roads overbuilt or underbuilt uh, for, for the service that we need there. And then you also think about the retail or the commercial or whatever is, is on each side of the road. So it's, it's taking the thoughts away from cars dominate to the neighborhood dominates and, and cars are just one piece of it. And so I, I think we have a lot of opportunities through our, our district for because, I mean, here's the deal. Like, we, we, didn't, we haven't added that much density in Oak Cliff over the last 50 years. There hasn't been an opportunity because we've got these amazing neighborhoods there that we're not going to take down, right? Once you take down a single-family neighborhood, you never get it back. So we haven't brought in that much more density in the neighborhood. But in the last 30, 40 years, based on, you know, statewide transportation models and things like that, the city and the state have felt the need to, to widen roads and push more cars through it to ease the burden on the interstates. And so my kind of mindset in the complete streets mindset is let's not go into urban design with the thoughts of moving cars faster through cities. Let's say, you know what, we want to refocus on our, the people who actually live there the people who want to get around their neighborhoods and making those streets and those sidewalks and those little centers, little villages, uh, you know, in, in, in the urban core better so that you don't want to leave. You know, we, one other challenge we have is we don't have uh, much land available really for, um, for offices and for commercial uses. And so a lot of people have to leave Oak Cliff who, who, who work in, you know, corporations or larger companies but now on kind of the eastern side of the district where it's, it's mostly vacant lots and car dealerships, stuff of that nature, there's no residents over there. There is some opportunity to, for, for upzoning there, and, and, and that's been done. And I think we're going to see some more jobs moving into the neighborhood, which will then help people live closer to home, you know? Yeah, I, as I listen to you, I continue to get a reinforced, strong sense of place. Mm-hmm. which I think we forgot about for a period of time as the nation was industrializing and suburbanizing and all of that. And it's great to hear that you're looking back at historical areas like where trolley stops or streetcar stops were and reigniting those and the neighborhoods that are surrounding. And so I just I continue to get a strong sense of, of place and space and want to thank you for that vision that you're holding out and that you're taking a stand for with the city and for us. And just want to say, count me in on anything that I can do to help move that forward. I really do appreciate that. And um, (laughs) unfortunately, I've got to go, but uh, this has been great, Leanne, and I'm glad to know I have you as a resource when I need you. And thank you for, for the opportunity to join your program today. Absolutely. Have a great day and a fantastic weekend. All right. You too. See ya. All right. Take care. Bye bye. If you like what you heard today, and the direction this podcast is pointed. Subscribe to Rise Leaders Radio on iTunes. Leave us a comment and a five-star rating. You can also check out the Rise Leaders website at www.rise-leaders.com 
to find the resources I pull from in my coaching and consulting work and that I find central to transformative leadership. If you're committed to leading with a clear vision and from core values and taking your team to the next level, then get in touch. You can reach me, Leanne Mallory, from my website. I'd be honored to hear from you. I appreciate you tuning in today and especially for being the type of person interested in learning more about how you can elevate your part of the world. Take good care.